who are with us who happen to be second grade and younger, you're welcome to head down to Children's Church, second grade and younger, and your teachers can head down with you. Some second grade and youngers never grow up. If you're third to seventh grade and you remain with us, we've got a, a three-ring binder in the back if you're interested. We call it our treasure seeker binder, and you can take some notes and um, uh, be a part of this, too. We want you to, to benefit so that we all benefit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, full morning already. I've been blessed already. I pray that you would help us to uh, be disciplined to rivet our attention on two verses of the Bible right now. This is real simple, Lord. I just want to show them. I just want to point. I want to push this text out to this congregation that I love so much. And I pray that this would bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. I was beside myself with madness that would bring me sanity. I was dying a death that would bring me life. I was frantic, overcome by violent anger with myself. I tore my hair and hammered my forehead with my fists. I locked my fingers and hugged my knees. I was held back by mere trifles. They plucked at my garment of flesh and whispered, Are you going to dismiss us? You will never know us again, forever and ever. I flung myself down beneath a fig tree and gave way to the tears which now streamed from my eyes in misery. I kept crying, How long shall I go on saying, Tomorrow, tomorrow, why not now? Why not make an ugly end, uh, make an end of my ugly sins at this moment? Bound as I was, not with another man's chains, but with my own iron will. My will, the enemy held, and from thence made a chain for me. And of my rebellious will, lust was made, and lust served became a custom, and custom, not registered, became necessity. By which links, as it were, joined together, whence I called it a chain. A hard bondage held me enthralled. Those are the words of St. Augustine found in his powerful autobiographical prayer known as the Confessions. Written over 1,600 years ago, Augustine describes his life and his struggle with sin in shockingly vulnerable and surprisingly contemporary language. He paints a portrait of addiction nearly a thousand years before the coining of the term in English. So far as I can tell, the word addiction emerges in the English language about 1599, although the term addict was first used as early as 1534 in English. Well, Augustine wrote in Latin, but he understood the essence of addiction as early as the year 400. What is addiction? That's a million-dollar question. Here's at least a 10-cent answer. 
Addiction is a thousand dark hallways, but enslavement to comfort is the common room for them all. Addiction is a thousand dark hallways, but enslavement to comfort is the common room of them all. Though addiction properly defined shouldn't be limited to substance abuse, um, just for the next moment or two, let's limit it to substance abuse just to get our head around some numbers. Studies have shown that drug and alcohol abuse cost the United States a yearly tab of $700 billion. That number, if you remember last week's number, it dwarfs last week's number. Last week's number was $148 billion. That's the check for anxiety in 21st century America. Drug and alcohol abuse and its related costs, namely crime, lost productivity at work, health care, that runs $700 billion a year in this nation. And that's merely drug and alcohol addiction. Consider other two giants that are alive and well, not merely in the culture, but in the church today. I'm, I'm thinking about pornography and gluttony. Conservative estimates put the porn industry in this nation right around $8 billion a year. Covenant Eyes... Christian ministry observed that that means that Americans spend the same amount of money on bottled water as they do on pornography. And for those of you for whom that statistic is offensive, allow me to offend you further by citing some stats relative to gluttony. Fast food revenue in this last year amounted to roughly $160 billion a year. Now, I know some of us watch our portion control. Some of you watch your portion control. <laughs> Trying. The snack food industry hovers around $47.5 billion. I don't know if you're keeping track of those billions. It's just that when you add them up, it's like a trillion dollars. The addiction industry in America in the 21st century. Trillion dollars a year. That doesn't take into account gambling or video games, or mobile device use, or internet habits, or shopping, or work, or exercise. You get the idea. There's not enough time, nor are there likely numbers in existence high enough to tally that total. However you define it, however you participate in it, and you do participate in it, as I do, addiction's a big deal. Now, as our friend mentioned, apart from the Bible, he didn't say this, I'll say this, apart from the Bible, the finest topic topical book on addiction, in my opinion, is Ed Welch's Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. Uh, in this book, Dr. Welch takes a swing at defining addiction. And here's what he says. He says, addiction is bondage to the rule of a substance, activity, or state of mind, which then becomes the center of life, defending itself from the truth so that even bad consequences don't bring repentance leading to further estrangement from God. And then Welch adds, as was mentioned, to locate addiction on the theological map, look under sin. Now, if you want that definition, you can find it inside the introduction to this week's community group study guide. It's written there with the bibliographic information. But the way that we'll say it this morning is that addiction is a thousand dark hallways, but enslavement to comfort is the common room for them all. Wouldn't it be remarkable... 
if you were able to turn the corner on your addiction this morning. That you mark March 15, 2015 as the day that you began to live with a new desire. Wouldn't it be even more remarkable if you were able to help another person turn that corner with you? What would that be worth to you? Well, how can an ordinary Christian counsel an addict? Well, remember the five keys to gospel-saturated soul care. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, hopefully you're familiar with these keys. Remember the five keys to gospel-saturated soul care. How do you have a conversation that's going somewhere with somebody? How do you counsel them? Well, seek to understand them. Labor to appreciate them. Come to empathize with them. Confess you're a whole lot like them. And then counsel God's word to them. You say, yeah, but like someone who's got a real bona fide addiction. I, I can't go there. I mean, I wouldn't even know what to say. I couldn't be of help. Really? Have you ever craved warmth when you were cold? Fullness when you were empty? Control when you felt scattered in a million directions? Companionship when you feel alone? Ease when life is rock hard reward when you feel like a loser is that ringing any bells of course it is addiction's a thousand dark hallways Ed Welch observes it's idolatry it's spiritual adultery it's foolishness it feels like you're being attacked by a beast it even seems like a disease though in superficial ways It may be like a disease. In the most fundamental sense, it doesn't behave like one. In fact, calling addiction disease is an insult to those with truly medically diagnosable disease. And if you don't think of yourself as an addict or think of yourself as competent to counsel one, then you need to consider from fresh perspective what addiction is. It's a thousand dark hallways. But the common room for them all is enslavement to comfort. So this morning, we're going to learn three lines of counsel. Three lines of counsel, not out there somewhere, but right inside your home, perhaps with a family member who's struggling. Maybe it's the person whose cubicle is next to yours at work. Maybe it's the classmate down the hallway. Perhaps it's your neighbor, your colleague, Maybe it's you. Three relational lines of counsel for the addict, each one of them drawn from 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Here's the first line of counsel. Addicts are slaves to comfort, so tell them that in Christ, God is the God of all comfort. Addicts are slaves to comfort, so tell them that in Christ, God is the God of all comfort. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. The Apostle Paul explodes, doesn't he? He doesn't know how to not explode. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Verse 3, 
Paul is pulsing with praise, isn't he? He can't rein it in. He's alive with adoration. He wants to bless God. Blessed be God. Literally, the word blessed means celebrate. Praise him with me. Literally, it's like honor. It literally is eulogize him. Though he's not dead. (laughs) Eulogize this God with me. Paul's deep desire... What do you do with the eulogy? Guy Runkel showed us this over the summer with the word eulogy at the beginning of Ephesians 1. It's to speak a good word on behalf of somebody else. Paul wants to put in the good word for God. Blessed be God. Why? Well, he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That makes him our father. And he's the father of mercies. He's the father of all mercies because all mercy traces its pedigree back to him. James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. That's what Paul's saying here. God is the author, the originator. God is the sire of all mercies. What sort of mercies? In particular, he's thinking about comfort. Although there are many. Verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. How much comfort? All comfort. That's rather comprehensive. Now, although you can't find addiction at BibleGateway.com, I don't think. Although some English translations are pretty wild. You can find the word comfort. And what you would find if you went to English, uh, English Concordance or BibleGateway.com, you would discover that the word, the comfort word in English, appears in the Bible about 81 times. 59 in the Old Testament, 22 in the New. And of those 81 occurrences, many of them, many of them are descriptions of God himself. Who he is and what he offers. Namely, comfort. So Job 15.11 refers to the comforts of God. Psalm 23.4, David tells us, God is his shepherd, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 86.17, you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Psalm 119.76, let your steadfast love comfort me. Isaiah 40, verse 1, God commands. Here's a command. You ready for this command? Comfort And he says it again, comfort my people. He's demanding that the people of God put on their spiritual sweatpants. Comfortable. Be comforted by me. Gospel of John, chapter 16. Verse 7, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit. Not every English translation brings it across, but sometimes it's translated, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. And while there are multiple uses of the word comfort in the pages of the New Testament, this is pay dirt. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and following, and 2 Corinthians in general. Now, if you were to look at this entire paragraph, which we won't this morning... You'd see the word comfort nine times. And if you were to read the entire book, you'd see it 17 times over the course of 2 Corinthians. If you had infrared 
glasses that would only show the hot spots of the Bible when the word comfort is used, the highest concentration of red would be right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Five times in two verses. Okay. So who is God according to verse 3? He's the God of all comfort. Now, why is that good news for the addict? Do we have to ask the question... Addicts are slaves to comfort. Addicts crave consolation. There's no greater comfort. There's no more comprehensive consolation than the God of all comfort. See, comfort's not the problem. It's the solution. C.S. Lewis was right. God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. In 1563, the Reformers, some of them, drafted the Heidelberg Catechism. Question number one asks, what is your only comfort in life and death? They respond, my only comfort is that I belong body and soul in life and death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins And completely freed me from the dominion of the devil. That he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he reassures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's that's comfort. Not for nothing, but that's comfort. It doesn't come in a bottle can't be found in a prescription. His comfort can't be held in your hand or even viewed with your eyes yet. Yet. Comfort that comes from the resources of a God, though, who never runs out, never dries up, and never, ever leaves you. Ever. How can an ordinary Christian counsel an addict? Addicts are slaves to comfort. Tell them that in Christ, God is the God of all comfort. That's where we start. Second point, addicts are slaves to comfort, so tell them that in Christ, unparalleled comfort can be theirs. We have to transfer the comfort from God to the creature. (laughs) And he's willing to do that. Addicts are slaves to comfort, so tell them that in Christ, unparalleled comfort can be theirs. Verse 3 into the first half of verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Notice in verse 4, the verb form of the word comfort is in an active tense. That matters. You say, why does it matter? It matters because it speaks to the ongoing quality of the comfort that God offers us in Christ. It's a present continuous verb. Uh, In the King James, it says he comforteth us. That's their effort to talk about plurality of the comfort here. 1556, John Calvin said, God never ceases to do it. 
He never withdraweth his consolations. It's his nature to always be comforting as the devil is always tempting. That's fantastic. Secondly, notice in verse 4 the little word in. God comforts us in all of our affliction. As in, in the midst of. Right smack in the middle of the temptation. He's bringing comfort to you. Uh, the word in is a, is a pretty good translation. It, it might even be on or upon all our affliction. And I, I think the idea there is that God, the God of all comfort, continually comforts us, not just with reference to our afflictions, but truly at the time of our afflictions, upon and each, every affliction. He's on it, bringing comfort. Now, to be fair, the afflictions Paul speaks of are the afflictions that come our way because of persecution for our faith. Something that Paul knew a lot about. Something that we know very little about, but I would suggest don't need to be a prophet to say that we will increasingly know some more about in the days ahead if you follow Jesus in this nation. So, in context, the comfort is the suffering of affliction, not comfort in the sinning of addiction. However, Paul was a faithful Jew. Paul's mind would take up this topic of comfort in affliction much the same as his Old Testament forebearers would. And I can't prove it till I get to heaven, but if you were to ask the Apostle Paul where he had his quiet time the morning he wrote 2 Corinthians, I wonder if he wasn't hanging out in the 103rd Psalm. In Psalm 103, David blesses the God of all comfort as the God who comforts us, not merely in our sufferings, but in our sinnings. Psalm 103, starting in verse 6. Listen to how suffering and sin weave themselves around each other, and the comfort of God comes in for both. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. Nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the, where's the east? The east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And he got to know it real well when his son became dust 2,000 years ago. And he still is. He's really special dust now. He's glorified. Does God just bring comfort to affliction? No. He also brings comfort to addiction. Sinning doesn't always follow suffering. But be assured, suffering always follows sinning. 
Addiction leads to affliction. And that sounds like really bad news, and I suppose it is. On the other hand, the God of all comfort comforts us in all of our affliction. You see? This is really good news. It's good news for the addict. Now, in the interest of truth in advertising, this needs to be said, and you all know it's true. The comfort that God offers us in Christ will only be ours if we surrender the comfort we had in the thing that we put in his place. God offers a fuller, deeper, longer, more wonderful, satisfying comfort than anything this world offers you. It's true. But you can't have it both ways. You will never know the comfort of the comforter until you let go of the thing that you were finding comfort in that wasn't God. You must choose. And when you do come to the crisis point of laying down the idol of addiction which you will do repeatedly throughout your life, it will feel painful. It's a great irony, actually. It's true, though. A.W. Tozer wrote, The ancient curse will not go out painlessly. The tough old miser within us will not lie down and die in obedience to our command. He must be torn out of our heart like a plant from the soil. He must be extracted in agony and blood like a tooth from a jaw. He must be expelled from our soul by violence as Christ expelled the money changers from the temple and we shall need to steel ourselves against his piteous begging and recognize it as springing out of self-pity, one of the most reprehensible sins of the human heart. (laughs) Tozer then prays, Father, I want to know thee, but my cowardly heart fears to give up its toys. I can't part with them without inward bleeding. A.W. Tozer wrote that on a train from Chicago to Texas, 1942, overnight. So it's a fact, I'm not going to lie. Laying down your idolatrous addiction, your enslavement to something that's not God, that's become a God in your life, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. It's hard. But don't forget, it promised something it couldn't deliver. And you know it. God's gifts are great gifts, but they're lousy gods. Idolatry is pain, pure and simple. And leaving it can feel awful, but remember, you're trading up. You're trading up. You are smashing an idol of partial comfort and embracing instead the God of all comfort. That's a trade up. Comfort's not the problem, it's the solution. Uh, Last week, one of my favorite writers in the Twin Cities today, John Bloom, wrote this. Quote, Jesus really does desire your comfort. He desires it more than you do. He so desires your comfort that he will make you very uncomfortable in order to give it to you. Desiringgod.org. Look up Jesus will not leave you alone. He blogged it on Saturday or Friday or something. Amen. Addicts are slaves to comforts to tell them that in Christ, unparalleled comfort can be theirs. Okay, one final point, and we're done. 
Addicts are slaves to comfort, so tell them that in Christ, they can provide the exact same comfort to others. Addicts are slaves to comfort, so tell them that in Christ, they can provide the exact same comfort to others. Second half of verse 4 reminds us that Christians are not dead ends of divine comfort. We are conduits for the comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So when, whenever you see a so that in Scripture, just mark it. Mark it, because... You circle it, you highlight it. It points to purpose and design and the reason for something existing. God's the God of all comfort. He offers unparalleled comfort in Christ for you, but he does not do so as an end in itself. No way. That's too small. And there's not enough joy in that. That's not the function of this comfort. This comfort has no beginning and no ending. It never dries up. It never runs out. It never ends. This comfort is so comforting, you can't deal with it all yourself. I'm thinking Jack Nicholson and a few good men. You want comfort? You think you're entitled to comfort? You can't handle God's comfort. He will so fill you up. He will so stock your cupboard with comfort that you can't even get the door shut. And you just, it tumbles out of your soul. When God comforts you in all your addiction so that you leave your addiction for the worship of a God who is worthy of your attention, it stands to reason that you would have some resources to share with other people. Perhaps some wisdom for another person. Why does God comfort us in our addiction? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any addiction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We're not to be stingy with the gospel of comfort. Now, is comfort the gospel? It's certainly one facet of it. Now, listen closely. (laughs) Mount Free Church, lend me your ears. I believe in cold street evangelism. I believe it. I don't do a lot of it, but I believe it. I don't just believe in cold street evangelism. I believe in hot street open air preaching. I believe in that. Good preaching, not bad preaching. Oh, for 500 Whitfield and Wesleys that would hit the streets of the cities this summer proclaiming Jesus and wooing and winning people to Jesus. Can you see that? Maybe you can't, but that's what open-air preaching used to sound like. Not berating, but beautiful. So, I believe in street evangelism. I believe in street preaching. But, you know what I also believe in? Street soul care. Street counseling. They can't always do it on the street. Sometimes you've got to duck into caribou for an hour and a half. But I think this might be the way in. 21st century American gospel advance needs this desperately. Now, the brothers at Redemption House know this. Dale Leonard, I'm sorry, John Lennon, John Lennon. 
Wow. Imagine all the people. John Leonard, Dale Stinson, the board that oversees them, the men that currently live on site, they're actually experiencing this right now. Okay? You should see what's happening at Redemption House. It was the most beautiful hour and a half I've spent in a long time. The world's perspective on addiction is one of perpetual recovery. Once an addict, always an addict. Okay, that's the world talking. It's not the word talking. The word of God says that in Christ we are resurrections. The old is gone and the new has come. Do you know the unparalleled comfort that Christ offers you? Freely, I have received. And freely, I give. You have to know what I've been released from in the last 17 years. Freedom from drunkenness. Freedom of a horrifically enslaving addiction to pornography. Free from it. Free from people-pleasing. Increasingly freed from enslavement to food. I had a late-night bowl of cereal last night that probably was not wise. But increasingly. Friends, the Son of God has set me free. I'm free indeed. You want to be free? Then come to Jesus. Turn from the comforts that have put themselves in his place, lay them down, turn fiercely away from them. They will taunt you. They will ask you not to leave. Fiercely turn away from them and turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Jesus lived your life and he died your death and he was raised for you that you might walk in newness of life. Not a lot of people who profess faith in Christ believe that. But it's true. Those who possess faith in Christ demonstrate that. Walking in newness of life. You should look like a resurrection. Why? Because you come to Jesus Christ. The God of all comfort. Addiction is a thousand dark hallways, but enslavement to comfort is the common room for them all. How can ordinary Christians like us, average ordinary Christians, counsel addicts? Wouldn't God do this here in Mound? You know the acronym for Mound, right? Most of us need drugs. It's still today true. Okay? Wouldn't he do that here? Yes, he would. Yes, he would. So, remember the five keys to gospel-saturated soul care. Seek to understand them. Labor to appreciate them. Come to empathize with them. Confess you're a lot like them and counsel God's word to them. Addicts are slaves to comfort. So tell them that in Christ, God is the God of all comfort. Tell them that in Christ, unparalleled comfort can be theirs. Tell them that in Christ, they can provide the exact same comfort to other people. The next week, we come to the fifth Sunday of Lent. Our sermon text is 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 11. Our sermon title is Such Were Some of You. And our sermon topic is Counseling Those Struggling 
with same-sex attraction. Please be in prayer for this sermon. Speaking of that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a mighty Savior. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to live resurrected lives today. Grant that we would be a church that's just overcome with love. That's all we need. We need love because love rejoices in the truth. We aim for truth. We might not ever get to love. We aim for love. Truth just gets thrown in because love rejoices in the truth. So please help us to see with crystal clarity the Bible is the answer here. Jesus is the, the, the thing that we need. And then grant us to live in that knowledge, that life of worship that flows out of it. May our church be a safe harbor for people just like us. And then may we move out with this gospel in love. In Jesus' name, amen.